Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today we start the episode um, in a very beautiful lookout position in the top of the hills of San Juan. And um, after the beginning of tourism in the early 70s at the island of Ibiza, agricultural activities were mostly abandoned. We've talked about that on the episode uh, just two weeks ago with Scott Gray. And little by little, the terraces were overgrown by pine trees, which we can see in abundance where we're standing right now. After a huge fire in May 2011, almost all those pine trees and junipers situated on this property were burnt. And they discovered many ancient dry stone walls and decided to begin that cleaning process of the terraces from the debris of the fire. So today I'm joined by owner of Black Nose Wines, uh, Mr. Peter Lehner. Uh, he owns Black Nose with his brother Tino. And we're going to just have a little chat today about the creative process of making wine, the tending to the land up here, which is just goes on and on as far as the eye can see. Um, obviously, we're going to discuss the fire. Um, and we're going to talk about Peter and uh, Tino's journey to living on Ibiza. So, Peter, thank you so much for making the time to uh, invite me up here to this stunning part of the world. A pleasure for me to receive you here up uh, on our hill. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, when you first um, got your hands on this gorgeous piece of land. Yeah, initially, uh, this hill was used by um, many uh, hippies. Uh, they came up here before we built the house and uh, meditated, made, you know, their parties, uh, um, music and stuff like that. So it was already uh, at that moment a hill that was appreciated by uh, many people. And uh, so when we, uh, I mean, when my brother at the time uh, uh, was offered to buy this hill uh, or this property, uh, he was right to, to seize this opportunity. And after a few years, uh, then he built the house. And since we decided to share it, and we are really uh, happy up here. It's the views are amazing. You can see, I mean, the sea uh, almost uh, 180 degrees down here. You can see it on the other side. Back in the house, you can see the sunset. Um, it, it's amazing and it's calm. Uh, and that's really what we appreciate is to be up here in the calm, uh, come here with our kids, our wives obviously and uh, spend uh, quality time mm. I mean you don't live here all the time so your life is slightly um, split and and how would you describe you know the contrast of being up on this incredible mountain to to life back home in Geneva yeah it's definitely different uh, you slow down uh, you know you go back two three gears <laughs> when you are up here um, uh, Geneva uh, I still run a business um, I'm young enough not to be retired yet <laughs> but uh, I spend more and more time uh, here um, and the idea is uh, yes to to bring now this vineyard uh, into the next level um, and that's why uh, we are really uh, yeah happy to 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 be here but also still uh, Geneva uh, is where my wife has her roots uh, the kids the younger goes uh, studies there and so I would miss also, you know, to not be there and uh, spend a lot of time with them. 
Um, but also uh, with the time they can come with me more often, hopefully, over the next coming years. Describe that feeling for us when you get back onto Ibethenko soil, when the plane lands. I mean, people talk about this stuff and obviously, you know, normally that kind of um, arrival process is associated with maybe, you know, being off to a party or whatever. But, you know, for a man who's got his hands on the land, I feel like, you know, it must be a really wonderful experience every time you come back, knowing you're going to be, you know, perched on top of this mountain for the next week or however long you stay for that's that's true um, and also when I come here sometimes because San Juan as you know is a little village most of the time I come here I meet people before even I go up to the house and so we start making plans maybe to have a dinner somewhere or go to visit each other or you know taste the wine the new vintage or so um, um, it's it's yeah and it's really that's what we appreciate we also came here uh, the first time over 30 years ago uh, almost 40 years now uh, and we also went to parties uh, at the time the coup was the club to be at <laughs> and it was fantastic we went to Formentera spent you know time around here made safaris with the famous Meharis that you <laughs> uh, that still exist some of them here um, uh, but now it's obviously the time is is, is has changed um, um, and I love to put my hands in the in the in the earth. And we started here the agricultural venture um, in organic, because before, I mean, as you said before, there were twenty, thirty years nothing happened on this land. But when we started to to uh, grow uh, our first uh, couple of trees, um, we decided to go for organic uh, agriculture. And last year, I spent a lot of time getting trained into biodynamic um, agriculture, and we applied these, um, you know, these uh, proceedings here on the land, on the whole finca, since last year, and we'll continue doing that. How did you feel about, you know, this idea of regenerating land that had become perhaps, you know, mildly desertified? Yeah, it was um, really when we discovered these old these these old terraces um we imagined because in valley where we are from you know in the mountains of switzerland there are very steep hills also with vines and we see how these people there have built the dry stone walls as it's still now when they need to renovate them what a hard labor it is and when we discovered uh, i mean we knew there were some walls uh, we have seen them uh, for many years and profited from them um, but when we have seen uh, how many walls we had not uh, even conscious that they existed here and uh, the number of uh, yeah days and uh, months that the people have invested here to build these terraces uh, at the time without any machinery nothing we thought it was just respectful uh, not to let the pine trees reinvade the, 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 all these terraces and uh, that was really the driver uh, for us to think about what to do then not just you know to clean them with a tractor every year that's not uh, sustainable um, but the idea was really then to do something that uh, makes sense and uh, knowing the history of wine on the island uh, that goes back you know uh, thousands of years uh, i think it is uh, it was almost logical even if for us it needed a lot of time of reflection it was almost logical to to do uh, something in wine and olives why why Ibiza though? I mean, you talk about this idea of uh, you know back home. There's these rolling green hills and there's there's wine creation there. But what you know what was it that drove you to to start that journey here? Honestly, it was opportunity. <laughs> it was that we had this uh, place, 
because at the time we did not think about doing wine when we you know we came here first it was really the fire uh, that uh, created this opportunity and opened our eyes to 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 something interesting so we we went to see uh, many projects um, um, in climates that are similar to here and we got also very good um, consultants that helped us uh, starting you know with analyzing the soil is it suitable uh, or not uh, it's a kind of conglomerate we can look at it on the other side uh, afterwards um, um, and uh, so the the soil the climate we also have water which we analyzed to see whether the salt content for example was uh, was not uh, too high because that would not work um, and so, yes, everything was, was positive. And uh, when we planted, then we needed to irrigate the plants quite a bit for the first uh, two, three years. And now maybe we do it two, three times a year. And um, so not to just uh, take out uh, this care commodity, which is water uh, of the soil and, you know, uh, do a kind of a football, uh, football field, uh, we, we decided to... Uh, construct quite a number of tanks and we kept the water from the roof of our house from a terrace in front of it which is quite large and uh, these tanks enable us to have uh, at least a quarter of our annual uh, water needs uh, already in store uh, when we start in spring uh, with the winter rain and then uh, over the year uh, as I said the, the new plantations we have another one over there with uh, white wine Shiro Ross uh, from Mallorca uh, this still needs some uh, some uh, some uh, irrigation and more regularly than just two to three times uh, uh, per season. Mm. I mean, I want to get into the wine uh, making process shortly because I really know nothing about it. So I'm very excited to hear the story. But, uh, you know, when you first got here, you know, take me back to when this fire, you said this kind of created the opportunity. Like, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we were both of us in Switzerland and we, we read about this fire. We immediately called uh, the, our friends here, our neighbors. Most of them were evacuated. Uh, one or two, they decided to stay despite the evacuation order. And I checked whether, you know, the next flight I could come. And they told me, no, no, don't come now. You cannot get to the house, at least for a few days. So uh, we will uh, give the green light uh, as soon as the situation is under control because it was a huge fire. I mean, you, you cannot underestimate it. It was... Uh, I think uh, 1,300 hectares that, that burned uh, up here, which is one-third of the whole forest in the north of the island. And so to bring this fire under control with the very windy um, conditions there they were prevailing at the moment uh, was, uh, was a lengthy exercise. But they did a fantastic job, the bom- bomberos. They, they managed to uh, preserve all the houses. I think not one single house was really burned. Maybe some of them affected a bit, but... Uh, and we could see the last rows of the olives. The exterior side was completely burnt, and uh, the other part was still green. Uh, so the fire came really close, uh, close uh, to our house. And uh, so after one week, I contacted again uh, uh, a friend here, and he told me, "Yes, now it's open. We can get to the house." So I took a flight and came here. And uh, b- behind our house is a little uh, forest really a small forest with old and big pine trees and the soil was still smoking so it was I, mean, I was there with a water hose to extinguish the last uh, smokes 
and uh, I then started to walk around and I saw all these uh, trees that were, were gone and huge holes with the roots where you could really follow uh, where the fire entered into the land following the roots. It was, yeah, it was really a very, very horrifying uh, scenery I saw there. And uh, honestly, at that moment, the, the only thing was to say, okay, we, 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 we have to see what happened. Uh, so I checked everything. Uh, but indeed, uh, except, as I said, these olive trees, uh, none of the things we had planted or the house were really uh, affected. So I was from that point of view a bit uh, relaxed. The, it was still smelling a lot of smoke. It was not a nice uh, taste we can smell of the of the garlic, uh, with, you know, with rosemary and stuff like that. It was really a horrible uh, smoke with this uh, wet uh, from the from the fire extinguisher. I mean, from the water they dropped on it. And so I think the idea to do. Uh, something uh, was uh, at least it took us at least an, uh, one year to even think about an idea the first thing we really did was to walk around uh, then be amazed about these terraces after a few days we you know we went through and everywhere was smoke and you had to be careful not to to melt i think some of the shoes are still <laughs> you can still see i can that. still see the uh, yeah the smoky remnants <laughs> on the soles of your your feet i mean you know that must have been really shocking and i remember you know i spent a lot of time in the south of france as a child and i remember those big forest fires that used to happen there and it's it is terrifying you know particularly when it's the your home has gone up in smoke and you said that you actually arrived here and you saw smoking embers in the soil next to your front door Yes, that's really uh, something I wish nobody to see because it's uh, even the first night, you know, I was still thinking, does it, I mean, it, it was, of course, uh, it was extinguished. So, but for me, I'm not used to a situation like that. And I, I, was, I was a bit frightened uh, whether it could start again uh, or not. But uh, they reassured me uh, the next day when I spoke to someone, they said, no, no, that's, that's gone, that's finished. And then we started to walk around and, um, yeah, assess uh, the the damage also on the in the nature uh, we also drove uh, some caminos to see uh, how it was and really i mean it was uh, the, the amplitude of of this fire was just flabbergasting it was it was huge um and uh, yeah after a few months we started to think okay uh, now uh, what do what do we do and uh, we said we cannot leave these trees uh, lying around, uh, so we started to to clean the the, the terraces with big machinery, so um, uh, to take away the debris. And uh, we also decided at that moment because we wanted to reutilize these terraces, maybe for something else, not yet knowing that it was going to be for wine. But we we flattened them at, at the parts where they were, you know, uh, a little uh, hilly or so. And we then um, uh, put green fertilizer. Basically, it was uh, wheat and uh, vesa. Uh, I don't know the name in English of this. It's a kind of bean. Um, and uh, so this for one or two years, um, which made all the rabbits in the neighborhood very happy because they had to <laughs> a, lot, a lot of food <laughs> to eat. And um, But that was not sustainable neither because it was just give something to the soil uh, that enables it yeah, to regenerate uh, and to make it suitable for um, planting then something uh, later on. Mm -hmm. 
And up there, uh, where we go now, is uh, Sarutata, which is um, a little garden. The former owner of, of this part, uh, he planted already the fig trees you can see. And that's the, the place, there were no trees for uh, a number of years. Here we each year we, we put uh, you know compost and uh, green fertilizer. It didn't really work out. I presume it is because we did it too late. Mm -hmm. we, we have put the, the soil cover uh, too late and um, because the rain was fantastic in November, there was more than enough. Um, but it didn't really work out. But otherwise for the wines, the, the, this soil is really suitable. Um, it's not, uh, indeed, it's not um, a soil where you would grow tomatoes. Uh, but the wines, they like this kind of soil and it makes the, the, the wines themselves not really because for them it's a hard work. But uh, when the wines need to work a lot uh, to, you know, to get the, to the, the water uh, and to get the nutrients out of the soil, um, that means also this is uh, reflected then in the in the quality of the grapes, um, and that's what we aim for. Is really the grape. Uh, um, of course, we try to keep the wines uh, healthy and so forth. But the more they need to work, the more uh, complex get the aromas of the grapes resulting uh, from from this. And uh, so that's what makes this land uh, really suitable. And I think you can also uh, taste it uh, when you taste the black nose. Why did the pine trees take over Ibiza? Yeah, probably they were already here before even the, the people came, the farmers came or the, the people came and made, uh, you know, these terraces. Uh, I think these were probably one of the first inhabitants, if I may say so. Um, but the fact indeed that they um, uh, that they um, invaded uh, the, the, all these uh, terraces was simply because the agricultural activities had been slowed down uh, to uh, almost uh, nothing. Um, and now in the recent years there are more and more people uh, reinvigorating agriculture with... Uh, sustainable uh, agriculture, revitalizing the soil and uh, doing uh, sometimes also very original projects. So um, I, I, I think, yes, they are part of I, Ibiza. They, they belong here. It's also in the name uh, of the pit uses now. Um, so uh, I think nobody wants to get them, have them gone. Um, and that's why also they treat uh, those trees regularly against this uh, disease uh, that uh, killed a lot of um, forests in the south of France, which I don't name the, know the name in English. It's called the La Chenille Processionnaire in French. Uh, you know how the name in, in English? Or? Uh, and so before it has you know, so many legs and it's called Processionnaire because they follow each other and there are huge lines of these things. And they go up to the trees and make a nest, and within a few uh, days they can uh, eat uh, the, the the tree, uh, and it's and it's grey, and it's dead because it cannot uh, grow, regrow uh, the 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 branches. <laughs> yeah, now the, the the how do you call these little things the in in green? Uh, the pi the pine needles. Yes, the needles. Yes, they cannot uh, regrow the needles. Um, and that's horrible. I have seen some of the forest, pine forests in France, uh, and it's not nice. And that's why now they treat, uh, the, they treat also here. I always, when I see the plane coming, I always tell them go away and don't drop your stuff on, 
on the vineyard, which obviously they don't, um, but they get very close, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of that going on not that long ago, and I, I thought it was to do with the mosquitoes when we saw the planes coming. It's happened a few times. You see it in the paper, and you obviously hear it coming from miles away, and you think, what the hell is that? Yeah. No, no, that's really against this chenille um, uh, processionnaire. Mm. You have to see what is the name in English now. I'm, I'm fascinated. It sounds like these little centipedes and uh, caterpillars and millipedes that are kind of invading the petusus and the pine trees here, so... Peter's just on his phone checking out the name. It sounds very good in French, but um, everything sounds good in French, let's be honest. Yeah, it's called Processionary Caterpillar. See, I did say caterpillar. I'm quite glad that I was right in some uh, capacity. Processionary Caterpillar. Yeah. Brutal. So the name. They, they, they look nice, but also you shouldn't touch them. I mean, uh, they have little hairs and uh, it's um, it's uh, it hurts it like burns a little bit your your skin mm. so um, they also I mean you have to inform the kids that they shouldn't touch them when they see them mm. uh, but they are all over the place we also have them in Geneva uh, they, uh, they it's now uh, everywhere uh, and when you see a nest um, obviously in, in Geneva you have one or two pine trees in the garden uh, when you see a nest you call the firefighters and they come and take it uh, take it away okay let's let's move on to this little uh, peninsula at the top of the top of the farm and um, you can talk me uh, talk me through what's going on there so we're just uh, yeah we've just arrived to where the fig trees are well obviously naked but looking very uh, resplendent in their in their nakedness Yes, this is a cool tree. Uh, even like you say, when it's not green, it has a fantastic structure. Uh, um, and yes, so with the figs, um, we dry them, we eat them, we share them with people. Um, it's a fantastic product. Uh, I also made some jam uh, with some of them, and we have different varieties. Some of them you can harvest twice a year; others only once. But uh, like the Uriola, which are these white figs, uh, they are very sweet, uh, really fantastic. And What's some, the difference between the green ones and the dark brown ones? The brighter ones are more sweet, but you have people who prefer really the dark ones. Um, I think it's a question of taste. It's like apples, you know, each one has its favorite. I prefer, I mean, I, I like all of them, honestly. Um, but indeed, if the dark ones are big, uh, like in the first harvest, often they are bigger than in the second uh, I, I love them. Now, we also need to uh, prune them. You see then that they have things coming out from the roots mm -hmm. and that we need to, to, to cut. Um, but it's a fantastic tree and this tree needs really nothing. I mean, for uh, zero. Uh, the olive trees even, sometimes we need to irrigate them so because we want production of olives. The fig trees, we don't really uh, push them to make figs, they just make them. And it's fantastic. And you can see all the insects that feed on them as well. Uh, it's just amazing. You have, you know, butterflies, uh, um, wasps, uh, yeah, plenty of, uh, of um, uh, caterpillar and uh, things that fly around and walk around and eat them. Um, it's an amazing tree. And these are still really small. As you have seen elsewhere in Ibiza, sometimes when the the, the branches grow out, that they put a sabine underneath to to withhold it so that it doesn't fall down. Um, but they do really well. Uh, and here, as I said, they have been planted maybe now 20 years ago. 
um, without water, nothing. And they were struggling uh, to really uh, anchor themselves, but now they are really perfect and they look better and better every year. Mm. I mean, what, you know, are they pollinated by wasps? Because they do look a bit like a wasp when you obviously turn them inside out and go to eat them. It was a rumour. I heard that. I honestly don't know. Okay. Yeah. I think I think they might be. I think they might be pollinated by wasps because there's a it's almost like there's a little baby wasp in the bottom in the in the kind of the seed when you pull it open. It looks like it could be, you know, you've got this little mini kind of um, you know, like pillars almost of um mini wasps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> You just eat them. You eat them and you make jam. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's a you're a busy man. Yeah, we cannot uh, do everything, but indeed, no. it's uh, it's an interesting question. I, I will for sure try to find out. For sure, it's an insect, um, and yes, wasps. For sure, they can also uh, pollinate. Um, uh, it's not only the bees who have that quality. Mm. So, talk us through. So, the beginning of the journey started, as you said, with with olive trees, and um, obviously, you're making olive oil, which is a which is a wonderful thing to know that there's some local producers on the island. Yes, olive oil is uh, the first product we made uh, here. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the perfect um, varieties uh, to make really a fantastic olive oil. Uh, it was a good oil. And uh, over time now, we have utilized uh, Piqual and Arbequina, which is, you know, two ver- very well-known varieties here on the island. And recently, we decided to uh, change the Piqual and... Um, uh, take a variety that was recommended to us by the Olive Oil Council here from the Conseil Insular, which is a Greek variety called Koroneki. Um, the Arpequina is a very tasty oil, but its shelf life is quite short. It's maybe 9 to 12 months if you do it on a standalone basis. And that's why people blend into Piqual, or uh, as I said, this Koroneki. And the Koroneiki has the advantage uh, that it's less vulnerable to the olive fly because these are smaller olives. Piqual has quite big olives and this is really vulnerable to the olive fly, uh, which is uh, yeah, uh, a disease that is here also since many years. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less. And uh, everyone has seen here that the Arbequina is the, the best in this context. We've reached the peak of the farm, uh, the, the length of the farm, and you can actually see um, two islands visible from, from this particular spot. Yes, when you stand on the rock, you can see uh, Mallorca on, on one side. Not every day, but when it's bright weather, uh, and sometimes it really seems to be very, very close. And when you turn 180 degrees, you can see over to uh, Formentera, um, which is amazing. And um, yes, so. It's a privileged situation on this second hill as well, um, where um, this this famous Arutata uh, place, also an antenna that we utilize to irrigate uh, the valley behind us with internet. (laughs) Got to have all the uh, the bases covered for sure. I mean, it almost feels like the the hills have almost parted like a pair of curtains for you to be able to see Formentera in the distance. They're these big green rolling unbelievable mountains that are really carpeted by by extreme abundance really i've never seen so much sort of green wooliness yes 
And you can see the one on the left side uh, has completely escaped from the fire. They are really old, big, fat pine trees. And on the right side uh, is a bit brighter now with just a cloud above it, but uh, it's a bit brighter because it's really young baby trees. Like just in front, this little hill, uh, this is about the size of the trees, so they are 10, 11 years old now. Feels like a treat, actually, to be, um, you know, really away from everything and just, uh, yeah, there's no sounds to be to be heard, really, apart from, as you said, the nature and the wind and obviously the odd scrambler motorbike that goes off and no doubt you get a little bit of the uh, lunatics out hunting at various holidays through the year. Yeah, there are not too many, but indeed sometimes there are some guys, uh, mainly on Sunday, uh, that uh, um, check the adherence of their tyres. <laughs> of course. What about the hunting, though? Who, what do they hunt? Yeah, here mainly they hunt uh, the Pedrix. Uh, it's probably also a French name for them. And the uh, rabbit. What's a Pedrix? Pedrix is a um, kind of wild chicken. Uh, I would translate if because I don't know the name in English. Um, but we can also check. But I think it's, it's maybe even Perdri uh, in English. I don't know. Is it like, can, it, can they fly? Yes, they can fly. And they make their nests on the soil. And uh, very often you can see the mummy with their little uh, things, you know, running away when you, when you come. Um, and uh, yes, sometimes the dogs, they hunt them. Uh, they don't even need the hunter to, to grab them and bring them home. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a house in San Vicente for many years and I, I, you know, exactly the same story. I heard those few, thankfully, and far between holidays where people were out in force and it was just, yeah, it was like being in a war zone. It was really horrible. In fact, the last time I came, I'm just remembering now, I came to meet another podcast guest, Gabrielle Gambina, and we decided to go and nestle in the opposite hill, just directly opposite here. And she said, ah, that's Black Nose, that's Black Nose Wines. Um, and we were trying to find a place that was peaceful to record, but we couldn't because it was a hunting day. And I'm not joking, the sound of gunshot was ringing out across the hills and it was, um, it was, in, it was intense, actually. Yeah, I mean, there are some hunters around uh, here. Uh, sometimes I cross them because they can also go into the vineyard. Uh, it's not, you know, a, a land in the sense that you block uh, them from entering. Um, I always tell them, you know, if you see a pigeon, then please take it because those are the ones who eat my grapes, <laughs> which <laughs> which the rabbits don't. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of wild pigeons on this island these days. Yeah, now are these big fat uh, uh, pigeons, and these are really problematic. They were not here, I was told, uh, ten years ago. And uh, yes, here. So we had uh, the first year when we had grapes was 2016, and uh, we could see you know the grapes getting more and more mature, and we could see uh, every day we had one or two rows that were eaten by this uh, by these birds. Uh, to such an extent that at the end we only had one barrel uh, of wine of 2016 which was you know a trial run to to see whether it works out and so forth and then the next year i did uh, i covered the the wines with nets like we do in switzerland uh, which is not uh, usual in spain uh, nobody does that 
but since then also other uh, people have started uh, doing it because indeed this um, these big uh, pigeons they uh, uh, they uh, are insatiable mm. bit peckish <laughs> yeah <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it's a compliment to you. They're, they're obviously very tasty grapes. I'm yet to try them myself. I'm very much looking forward to it. Talk us through the name, Black Nose. Like, I know that it comes from some kind of sheep, but it's clearly dear to your heart from your homeland. Yes, indeed. That's um, in uh, Valle, where our family has its root. uh, roots in the German-speaking part, which is really the upstream, the Rhone River, if you want, where the Rhone River has its uh, springs or where its, uh, its source um, uh, they have this uh, special uh, breed of sheep uh, called the Schwarznasenschaf or black nose. Say that name again in your language. Schwarznasenschaf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try it. One more time. <laughs> Schwarznasenschaf. Schwarznasenschaf. Schnarf. It's like um. Schaf. Schaf. Schwarznasenschaf. Yeah, that's not. I too got bad. it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And. Um, Yes, yeah, so uh, I don't know why I have this name Black Nose in my mind for many years and I thought one day I will utilize it for something and it happened to be now this wine. But you didn't uh, want to call it Black Schnauz and Schaf. <laughs> no, I think that would have been a bit too exaggerated. <laughs> Already some people are blaming me that it's not really Bizenken, <laughs> this name, which I completely agree uh, and I assume. Um, yes, yeah, so... Um, you could have called it Fat Pigeon. <laughs> Fat pigeon wines. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that will be uh, that will be uh, yeah uh, an idea. Some people also tell me, but how are you going to name the white wine? And w- what's the answer? Uh, I don't know yet, but it will not be white nose for sure. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, <it's> very thank <laughs> A lot of white noses incoming this summer, I'm sure. Oh there, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. It's a very clean living podcast. Um, I think you know. Are we gonna what, what? What? Can you take me over towards the um, the red wine section? I think that would be an interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm very intrigued to, to find out what the white nose name is going to be, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the next next episode later on in the summer when uh, everything's come to full fruition. Yes. Now is uh, as you see, they are really uh, resting, uh, recovering. Um, they still do uh, in the roots they capture you know uh, all the energy from the soil they communicate with the mycorrhiza you know this mushroom tissue that is underneath uh, the plants and they uh, can uh, through the system also exchange energy Uh, some uh, weak plants can get uh, excess energy from the strong ones um, and so this is the uh, nature that helps to make a kind of equilibrium uh, amongst uh, the plants. Um, so that's what they now, they tank basically this energy in winter. And when then uh, the um, first uh, things are sprouting, then you can see all this uh, energy coming up from the soil and really shooting uh, in, in t- into the wine. The, the, the wine is... Uh, liana no uh, at the basis so it can get meters and if you don't uh, prune it it can get uh, very 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 long um, and it's a fantastic plant how do you know about this uh, mushroom tissue that you just mentioned because i watched um you know fantastic fungi the film about exactly that topic and i found yeah. it unbelievable the way that the communication is uh, spread far and wide 
Yes, it's an amazing uh, discovery they made uh, a few years ago, and um, I mean uh, many years ago. Uh, but some people probably didn't believe in it. Um, um, but today it can even be proven, uh, as you said, this film, uh, I, I, maybe it's not that one I saw, but uh, it can now be really demonstrated how these things uh, work and that it clearly uh, works. Now, of course, you have always examples who show the contrary. This probably is not connected uh, to the mycorrhiza. That's why it's uh, a weak one. Uh, but in general, uh, these things really work and uh, through the biodynamic um, uh, treatments we make, uh, like, uh, for example, when we do the preparation 501, which is um, the manure in the horn, in the cow horn, uh, that you let, you know, six months in the soil uh, in winter and then in spring you take it out and this manure has um, has um, messages to communicate uh, to the soil when you spray it, even in a small doses. Um, and uh, it, this is uh, one of the stimulators of the mycorrhiza systems um, that is uh, in biodynamic agriculture. It's an par uh, integrant part of it. Uh, uh, but indeed, the more and more also conventional farmers, they know about it and uh, they... Uh, they uh, utilize uh, uh, sometimes even you can inject mycorrhiza uh, directly in the root system to, to stimulate define the difference between organic and bio biodynamic farming what's the difference i think it's it's not a big difference um, the bi biodynamic uh, goes in a bit further in the sense that it also takes into consideration the um, the, the environment, you know, the stars, the moon, um, um, which also the old farmers uh, hundreds of years ago already, they, they knew when they had to put the seeds in the ground, uh, often linked uh, to the, the situation of the moon. And um, so biodynamic is indeed, is the, the, it's a kind of idea um, that has grown over the years and uh, e each one who is in biodynamic basically on his farm uh, he he tries to implement his idea uh, and to to create a kind of um, self-sufficient environment um, ideally you know we would have also cows to have our own manure and stuff but you cannot have every i mean i cannot have everything up here that's that's for sure mm -hmm. so i but i also believe that you can share uh, things with other people who 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 make these products you know these uh, preparations um and uh, that uh, if they are well done they can be utilized by uh, by uh, by others like uh, like us do you collaborate with local farmers on that particular um, particular project? Not yet with uh, with locals, but we we, we will uh, we will do that. I I have um, so far uh, gotten access to products from the mainland from from Spain, and indeed I think over time uh, we could do it like uh, these associations do also in the, on the mainland is to do a certain number of things together uh, if we are on the same wealth, uh, wavelength. Um, and indeed, there are some. Uh, some. Uh, we are not the only uh, biodynamic uh, farm now here on the island. Uh, it's a growing uh, thing, which is good. It's like permaculture. Uh, I like both of them, and I also like organic. 
Um, so I, I'm a bit cherry picking from the three of them and try to do yeah, the best uh, out of them and uh, take what really I think is, uh, is the most uh, sustainable one and which is really bringing to, to our activities the, the, best prof, the best benefit. I'm expecting very big things from this wine, Peter. You're, you're, <laughs> you're bigging it up here. I'm looking forward to this. Let's wander back um, towards the, uh, was it the Cabernet Sauvignon? Yeah. And see what, uh, and yeah, you can tell me a little bit about that creation. I mean, before we get there, I'm just interested in, you know, you said that you had absolutely no plans in your head to make wine. I mean, how was it to, to start out on that journey? Yeah, so basically we also in this respect um, um, were working with consultants. Uh, the company, I can name it, is called Global Wine um, in Switzerland. And they have uh, done uh, quite a great number of projects, uh, so-called grassroots projects, we would say in the mining industry, <laughs> where you basically start the project from, from zero. And um, so it goes, like I said, initially from the soil um, analysis, water availability and quality and so forth. And then you say, OK, if it's everything, you can tick all the boxes. You can then start thinking, OK, what kind of wine, if you do wine, would you like to, to grow? And so normally, I think most of the people, they do what we have done is to say, what kind of wine do you like? And um, I mentioned the Rhone River before in Valle, but as you know, this goes down to Marseille and joins the Mediterranean. And along this Rhone River, um, in Switzerland grows a lot of Syrah, but also in France you have this famous Syrah in, uh, in the region of Lyon, and it goes down to, uh, uh, to the south. And there is one wine particularly that I like a lot, is um, Chateau Neuf du Pape. Um, and so that's a bit the inspiration we had and then with uh, Global Wine we decided what kind of varieties we were going to, to grow here and Syrah obviously was really set, that was fixed and uh, uh, was really important and over time uh, so we, we fixed our uh, varieties and then in the winemaking process we try also to orient our um, on, the, on these uh, things we like. And that's how we ended up doing uh, Black Nose, which is, yes, one can say a bit Rhone-style type of wine. Nice. I mean, you know, I guess the options are reasonably endless in terms of where you could have gone with uh, deciding exactly what kind of uh, style of wine that you're going to create. So that's just interesting to know um, how that idea got born and how you kind of figured out what what it is I mean how many different types of vines are there that you could have selected to actually uh, install in the growing process yeah there are quite a big number there is obviously also um, you know um, um, indigenous uh, wines uh, whether it's from Ibiza or Mallorca um, also maybe uh, in Catalonia uh, and uh, it's possible that we orient us with more local uh, varieties maybe over time uh, with the white wine that's what we have done instead of you know 
taking a Chardonnay or something like that. We could have taken also a Malvasia, which is also a local variety, really nice white wine. But we wanted something a bit special. And uh, when we tasted uh, this uh, white wine from, uh, from a winemaker in Mallorca called Tony Gelabert, um, he is one of the guys who utilizes uh, this variety uh, Giro Ross. And that's really a fantastic, a complex uh, white wine. And uh, so we decided to go for that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully in two, three years we can taste it. Hopefully. That sounds like a, yeah, an awful job that you have there, having to uh, try everything that you make before you can put it on the market. I mean, that must be obviously, you know, as amongst many other parts of the job, which walking around uh, the land here is just... It's just breathtaking, actually. Um, but yeah, I guess actually when that winemaking process is finished, to, to be able to sample, you know, or get high on your own supply <laughs> must be a pretty, pretty nice part of the process to sort of celebrate what looks like incredibly hard work. I mean, that, you know, your work had just left that was pruning these, uh, these trees and there's, you know, there's a lot of trees. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's true. And uh, yes, uh, the, the the problem basically we got was that when we had uh, so much wine that we couldn't drink it alone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what an awful that's, problem to have. That's when we needed to think about, you know, a name, a brand and stuff. Um, but it was obviously a good problem. It's a challenge. And we are happy so far how we succeeded. Um, the name is now accepted. <laughs> there, are, there are for sure still people who think we could have chosen another name like every every brand but we are really um, we are really uh, happy with this uh, project here how it goes and the beauty of it is still that we you know with the 2018 that is uh, now on the market uh, it was only our second vintage and uh, the grapes uh, I mean the, the vines they get better every year uh, the, the I think the they start to doing their best grapes uh, when they are about 10 years old uh, so this is still to come. We planted them in 2014, so we are getting closer to to a better and better and better uh, wine. Um, but we are happy so far. We got, uh, I don't know whether you have seen that, a few weeks ago, uh, Chances Robinson uh, uh, um, gave us uh, 16.5 points uh, for Black Nose, which for a second vintage I think is not too bad. So um, it's a reconnaissance of, of the work that is done in the vineyard and certainly uh, for sure also in the bodega where, where uh, also the team from Global Wine is doing a fantastic uh, job uh, making our wine, which is done in Sakova, as you probably know. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it's... Uh, it it looks simple, but uh, the 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 winemaking is quite a complex uh, thing, and you are also, uh, as it's agriculture, exposed to the nature, to the elements. And last year, for example, here in, sorry, oh. in this part of the vineyard, we also got hail in uh, June, and uh, so it was a shock for me because I didn't know that there could be hail on, on Ibiza as well. There is for sure hail in Switzerland and sometimes it damages a complete uh, uh, harvest uh, of, of, uh, of uh, grapes. 
But here we it was in an early um, stage, and so the some of the berries just got uh, hit uh, by one of these uh, by some of these uh, hailstones, and we sprayed then valeriana, which is uh, also a, one of the biodynamic uh, uh, elements to cyclotrize so the, um, the, the grapes. And at the end, we didn't have any loss, uh, so we were fortunate uh, uh, to this respect. I mean, we've even had snow here once, so yeah, hail has been a very interesting introduction. I, n- I never dreamed that Ibiza would have hail, not just any old hail, but really fat, big hail. I, I really got bombarded, actually, not, not that long ago. I was really shocked. With hail? Yeah. Yes. Where? In Ibiza. Okay. Yeah. It can happen. I mean, it's a very, very, very rare thing, but, you know, that, that's probably the third time in 10 years that I've been, I've been hailed by big sort of snowballs, it felt like, on my head. Oh, well, that's not... Here they were not that big. Uh. Mm. It was really a small granizo. Mm. But uh, yeah, still it it uh, it it, um, it makes damage. Uh, the fortunate thing is, I mean, fortunate is uh, that it's very local. Uh, that's in general. I mean, hail is is uh, you cannot see it, you know the whole island at once. So it's uh, here. It was also maybe uh, this part of the vineyard was uh, hailed. Uh, here down there, there was nothing. The sea around the Cabernet had nothing. Um, but yes, it was a, a bad surprise. But Yes, so far, as I said, we were lucky mm. not having suffered uh, too much damage. Mm. I think if I die, I'd like to come back as a, as a sommelier. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic job. It's, um, it's a passion and it's, uh, um, I think it's not a gift. You need to work hard. Uh, I knew a guy who was uh, in Switzerland, um, who was a world champion in uh, in in this, uh, the best sommelier. Uh, and he explained us in the Ecole de Vin in Changin, which is the wine school in in which I attended in part in Switzerland. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, how much hard work he had to to invest uh, in in this. He he went. He participated a couple of times uh, to this uh, championship. And he finished, I think, once he was third, and then he was second, and a, couple, and a year later he, he won. But for to make the progress between uh, each time, he said it was really an incredible amount of work. Uh, he, he explained us what uh, whatever he has done. That that's really, I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a job, but it's a passion, and it's uh, it's like. Uh, you know, an extreme sport in the sense that, it, it, yeah, it, it uh, asks us. Uh, it's uh, so you need to be so committed uh, uh, to taste uh, every day uh, so many different wines, to to train your nose on plenty of different type of things, um, and you need also a fantastic memory because uh, all these things you need to record and to store them somewhere in your brain. Um, uh, so that at the end of uh, yeah, when when you are really at the peak, uh, the guy can say not only what variety it is, but where it grew and what hill, and maybe sometimes it can say the name. Uh, they can say the name uh, of the wine, and that is you know blind tasting, uh, um, uh, and that's really something that's uh, yeah, I admire people who can who can do that. OK, 
Okay, so where where are you taking me next, Peter? So now we go to our little bodeguita. What's uh, that? It's a little uh, experimental cellar. I quickly built this summer because I got grapes uh, from a little vineyard uh, and I didn't know what to do with these grapes. Uh, um, so I wanted to make a, a test and make my own wine for the first time. So not getting, you know, professionals doing it. So make a kind of artisanal uh, house wine. And um, now we can go and taste it there. So something we do not grow here. Uh, this comes from the vineyard in uh, Santa Ines. Let's do it. <laughs> what the hell's that? That's, uh, yeah. Looks like a very Thank large you, injection. Yes. Thank you, Peter. It's very kind. I'm not sure what that contraption is that sucks wine out of the barrel, but looks like a reverse injection of the best kind. You put it here, and then you close it, and it stays. So, try not to make too big mess. Sounds like you're about to make a speech, Peter. <laughs> Thank yes, you. You make it because you taste first. <laughs> I'll go on then. I'll have a little, a little, a little try. Hmm. Wow. If that's your, um, yeah, your test run, <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Really? You like it? I do. That's really, really delicious. I also haven't had a drink for about two months, so it, oh. <laughs> it does taste particularly, particularly really good. Yeah. Oh, you it's make um, a dry 2022 then. Not a dry January, but you make a, a dry first quarter. Yes. I was uh, having a little bit of a uh, time out, but um, yeah, that's special. That's really not what I expected at all. It tastes like any other beautiful red wine I've ever experience no it's fruity i think it really the, the tempranillo also you know some people are saying yeah the climate here is not really um, ideal and it's possible it's not but i think at the end of the day you can make a decent wine uh, with uh, with the grapes with tempranillo as well grown uh, here on the island and uh, we'll see now how long we keep it in there i don't want it to get too woody uh, so maybe already in a month or two we'll we'll take it out. But this is only for our own consumption. We, it's not for, <laughs> for you know, it's for the breakfast or something. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure wine for breakfast could be a, could be a real issue around a place like this. Now, when I say our own consumption, it's not only me and my brother, obviously, because that would be quite a lot. Uh, it's you know, a barrel is 225 liters, so it's about what 280 bottles. <laughs> That's. Um, no, but we give it to friends uh, if they yeah, if they want it and uh, share it and and keep some also maybe a few years to see how it evolves in the bottle afterwards. Well, you must know, you know, you clearly know what you're doing. You said this is a test, and you know, you kind of leave the other project to the professionals. But that for me, I mean, is absolutely delicious. Tempranillo is actually probably my favourite red wine anyway. I was having a little sip last night. It was the first time I've had a drink in two months, and I was like. Yeah, that is definitely my favorite red for sure. And it tastes exactly the same as the one I was drinking yesterday. So oh, Cool. So I'm, 
I'm happy. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely no expert, so I'm, I can't, can't say much more than it's delicious. Yeah. No, thank you. And I think that's how you have to appreciate wines, you know. It's, uh, of course, some, some people who studied it, like you said before, they're really the sommeliers and the professionals, they can give a name to plenty of uh, tastes, and that's fantastic. Uh, but it's their job. These are professionals. And I think uh, if we can already say, uh, you know, it has uh, it's fruity or red fruit or dark black fruit, it depends. Uh, if you can, uh, yeah, smell some essential things, uh, whether it's a bit flowerish or, uh, as we said, or whether the fruits are more mature or more fresh, uh, these things uh, you can determine. Um, and depending on your taste, yes, you, you, you can then say it's a good wine, I like it or not. But this came from Santa Ines. Yes. That's actually where I was walking around the almond blossoms not so long ago. And I, you know, you can see that that's obviously a, vin, a vineyard part of the island and there are some winemakers there. So I'm very, yeah, it feels very serendipitous to be actually now drinking a wine from that area because um, actually it's been on my list of things that I really wanted to do at some point whilst living here in the last 10 years. So um, that's the second dream you've made come true. I've now seen a tractor and um, sampled wine from Ibiza. Oh, great. No, no, that's uh, and indeed, as you say, uh, Santa Ines, um, which is surrounded by the crown. Um, so maybe these are the crown jewels that we are drinking now. <laughs> they do taste like them. <laughs> In English, that's a very strange Cockney rhyming slang, which kind of means um, the crown jewels is like your your uh, testicles. Yeah, but we, you have a queen, <laughs> not a king, <laughs> which is handy. <laughs> But if they're the ground jewels, I'm into it. It's um, yeah, it's delicious. It's really, well, it's really good. Fantastic place there, and as you say, these these uh, almond trees. Uh, um, uh, sometimes we only came to Ibiza, you know, in the past years before we had our plantation here, uh, and we each time we were here end of January or in February, we went to um, to the this valley of of Santa Ines and also San Mateo a bit further. There are also some, but Santa Ines is famous for the for the almond blossom. And our vineyard there, I mean, it's not our vineyard, it belongs to three sisters. It's in the middle of, 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 of that valley, uh, really nicely situated. Uh, it has been abundant for a couple of years. So we tried to re-inhale some life into it and uh, uh, bring it back uh, into a healthy form, if possible. It's not yet uh, won, the war against the fungus there. But I think if we continue uh, yeah, doing regular uh, treatments and um, uh, maybe also we will, over time, maybe graft uh, some of these plants um, because there are too many varieties in this vineyard. Mm -hmm. So we might have to make it a bit more rational so that it's also uh, feasible and realistic uh, to really uh, make uh, a wine for, from there. I love this idea, though, that there's more than one project of restoration going on around there because you've got the almond trees that also Ibiza Preservation and I believe a man called Christian who lives locally uh, around the San Mateo area and um, brought Canceres. Mm -hmm. And he is actually pumping, I think, quite a lot of money uh, alongside Ibiza Preservation into restoring the almond trees and farms around that area because I think they've reached a certain point where they're so old, they're actually dying, a lot of those trees. Yeah. Yes, it was, and it was not easy. Uh, I think also the climate, uh, the, uh, the almonds, uh, they also need water from time to time. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I'm also told that uh, this uh, Gilea has also an impact on the almond trees, not only on olive trees. This bacteria, you know, that uh, came uh, from, uh, I don't know where it comes from, Italy, but that's where we heard it for the first time. Mm. Um, so, yes, I think that's great uh, there are, that there are people who, um, uh, who invest their time and energy and obviously some money to, uh, to uh, maintain uh, the traditions and... Um, the, the almonds here are, are fantastic. I mean, uh, each time I only harvest maybe one bag because we have two, three trees here. Uh, but they, everyone appreciates them. Uh, and they are, yeah, I think if you look, whatever is around on this island, uh, already what is here, you can do plenty of things with it. And indeed, if you are creative uh, and you are ready to, yeah, to, to commit yourself to, to a project or to a, a yard or... A, a land you you can do fantastic things okay the final moment has come i think we deserve a little cheers to uh, celebrate this special occasion thank you the sound of red gold <laughs> really nice to have you up here i'm really happy that you came and uh, you asked so many good questions to which i could hardly answer <laughs> Well, that's not true, but um, I'm sure we definitely won't be able to answer any more questions after we've, we've sampled your beautiful creations. Mm. Oh, my God. Talk us, talk us through what uh, the black nose uh, red entails briefly before we get into this delicious feast with your wonderful olive oil. Yes, so um, it's, um, as I said, a Rhone-style type of wine. So you have uh, black fruit, but also red fruit. Um, and we really wanted to make sure that the fruitiness is preserved uh, by utilizing um, only uh, used barrels uh, with French oak. Uh, so not to have, you know, um, uh, too much of a uh, oaky um, uh, taste. Um, the chap from um, Chances Robinson, he also um, had appreciated a lot the rosemarine um, uh, that comes out of it. And it gets more uh, important with the aging now. The bottle is now, um, the wine is now almost one and two years in the, in the bottle. Uh, so it's a three-year-old uh, wine. Um, and yeah, getting better, Get, getting better all the time. I think I will put some aside, even if we have not left uh, too many. Uh, it's almost sold out now, uh, this vintage. Um, so I for sure will put a couple of boxes on the side to see how they evolve in the next couple of years. Uh, normally the peak should be f five to seven years, I would say, uh, from now. And it goes very well with uh, you know pasta dishes or uh, kind of lamb also, uh, really nice uh, fish. Um, you might say everything, <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's it's not a heavy wine that you would take to you know a T-bone steak, for example. You can, but I I would rather recommend it to white meat or, as I said, lamb maybe or some uh, lighter dishes. But it's um, it has a complex aroma, also a nice uh, color. It's translucent, and uh, yes, I hope you and the consumers appreciate i'm i'm sure i mean it's interesting because I, I i haven't seen that around i don't know how many outlets uh, have that 
across the island of Ibiza. But I will um, be definitely keeping an eye out for that beautiful label. And um, thank you so, so much. Um, just to finish, to say thank you for actually having me up onto this wonderful mountain. Um, it's been a very glorious experience to find out more about winemaking. I'm definitely intrigued to know more. And um, yeah, it's um, absolutely gorgeous, actually, I have to say. So congratulations on your, your wonderful vintage. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure and enjoy the vegetables <laughs> with our olive oil cascotch, Aceite de Ibiza, which is a collector because for the next two, three years we won't have any oil because have you seen the plants are very young, the new trees we planted. So um, the oil we are going to do in the next two, three years is not even sufficient for our family. Um, but hopefully in four or five years we will be able to come back on the market with it. Yet another rare vintage. Delicious. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, yes, we will see you next Friday on the Reset Rebel podcast. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. Coming to you every day.